Welcome, everybody, to Wait What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee. I'm your co-host, Tim McGee. And I'm David Paro. This is the podcast where we take a sometimes cynical, sometimes irreverent, sometimes serious look at the business of sports. David, what's on your mind this week? Well, as usual, there's a lot going on, as we found week to week with this show. Um, I've been trying to pay attention to the situation in the English Premier League with the sale of Chelsea and Roman Abramovich uh, being in the position, uh, the, the Russian oligarch, to sell that team. And it, you know, a lot of the standard players, uh, the standard billionaire owners that that uh, like to own teams have have emerged as potential front runners in this. Uh, the Rain Group, which is a U.S. bank, is overseeing the sale of uh, of the team, and they plan to narrow it down to a few finalists over the next few days. So it's 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 amazingly exciting, in a way, uh, from the business side of this because it merges so many different things. Obviously, the corporate responsibility of ownership uh, and what that means, and especially today when there's so much more pressure on this stuff and people are way more in tune with it. Um, uh, you know, as well as what that means from a, from a sponsorship standpoint and what the fans, the fans of an actual team expect of that. A few names that have emerged, uh, as potential front runners here, uh, include the owner of the Chicago Cubs, the Ricketts family who have partnered with a, uh, asset management, uh, firm to, uh, to put a bid in, uh, they have a great deal of experience, obviously not only with, you know, running a team, but also in putting together a stadium uh, renovation, something that that Chelsea is definitely going to be looking at over the next few years. Actually, have been looking at that over several years, but it's been halted recently because their their facility, Stamford Bridge, is quite old. Um, so they are a potential logical player. The Dodgers uh, uh, owner is involved with that. Todd Bowley, um, along with a Swiss billionaire, uh, uh, Harris. Blitzer Sports and Entertainment have popped up tied with Sebastian Cole, the legendary uh, UK athlete and uh, former uh, British Airways CEO Martin Broughton. Um, interestingly, Harris Blitzer owns a piece of Crystal Palace, so they would have to give up that. Um, and it looks like some other uh, uh, investors have, have come on to that team. Uh, I was intrigued by uh, legendary footballer John Terry, a Chelsea footballer. Uh, has he uh, has put together a group of fans basically to not take ownership because let's be honest, there's no way that's going to happen, uh, but to put a uh, an investment into it. I found that pretty intriguing. Uh, obviously, they'll get a lot of publicity on that. Uh, Saudi Media Group has been uh, named as well. I recently talked to a, a friend who happens to be a Chelsea fan and asked him who his favorite was. And, and he said something interesting, and I love the honesty out of what he said. And that's, uh, if I'm being honest, I just want the I want the person that will come in and spend and not worry about losing, meaning not necessarily run it like a business. So listen, I think this is a fascinating um, a fascinating storyline, a big storyline. The number is going to be massive, um, and uh, it, you know there's a, a good shot there will be American ownership on this. But it's it's important, of course, Tim, that we talk about these international stories. After all, we do have that international following. That is true. We are a global phenomenon. And unlike <laughs> Elvis Costello, who famously sang, I don't want to go to Chelsea, apparently 15 different billionaire groups. I'm going to I'm going to go out and make a prediction, which we like to do on this podcast. 
almost as much as we like to get our predictions wrong. <laughs> um, I'm going to say it's going to be that all British group, um, Centricus Asset Management. Um, they're backed uh, by a couple of other uh, private equity firms. I think Shane Capital is one of them and Talis Capital. I, th I think whatever happens um, with this sale, it's going to happen quickly. I think the British government doesn't want to own a football club. Um, I think they want to put this whole Abramovich thing behind them. Uh, you, you made a, a very good point. Whoever buys this club is going to have to invest a couple billion dollars into a new stadium. Um, there's also a billion and a half dollars in debt that they'll be assuming, which Abramovich has said he will forgive. Um, he wouldn't be the first Russian to go back on his word. Um, <laughs> Uh, so now I guess, uh, the Russian government is going to be after both of us, uh, after that, but, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to th see, I think, you know, within the next podcast or two, uh, episodes, we're going to, we're going to be talking about the new owners of Chelsea, but yeah. it's interesting, you know, five years ago, um, you know, certainly 10 years ago, we probably wouldn't be talking about change of ownership, um, in a premier league club. It just shows you how global football has truly become over the last five to 10 years. Right. Right. Well, we have, you know, we have obviously American ownership over there and you look at, you look at the Fenway group's ownership of, of Liverpool and obviously whatever they're doing there has been massively successful. Uh, so I, I would say, I, I don't disagree with you from a prognostication standpoint necessarily, although, <laughs> You know, we we all know your record is <laughs> slightly worse than my bad record. Um, I so am the Baltimore I'll, Orioles of predictions. yeah. I'll go I'll go different. I think the I think the things that line up really well um, with the with the Ricketts Group situation, um, I'll put them up. I, I'm a little surprised as the long suffering Jets fan that you're not you haven't figured out a way to back the Woody Johnson effort. Because I'm sure you just I, want I him. You. Although, as a as a city fan, right? Um, maybe maybe you would like him taking over, over <laughs> Chelsea. Well, I think you 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 answered your own question when you prefaced that by saying "long suffering Jets fan." He has done nothing for the the Jets nation um, as an owner. So um, I think there are probably people at the ring group who recognize that and understand that. Plus, I just don't think his bid's going to be high enough, quite frankly. You know, we think about ourselves in this in the U.S. as as, you know, having fans be super passionate about their teams. And of course they are. Um, for those that haven't followed um, any of the Europe, the, the big European leagues closely, uh, I'm not sure they there's quite as much of an understanding of how important this ownership situation is and how much shit they take when things go bad. Um, but I think that if you look at, at what some of these, in, including Dodgers ownership and, and certainly including Cubs ownership, uh, have been through all those things and certainly know how to go out and get more money, which is what the owners do when it comes to the redevelopment. It's not just yeah. dipping into their own pocket. So that's a big piece of it. You mentioned something earlier in terms of the fact that we are, you know, you're, you're going to make a bet or make a prediction is that I'm certainly expecting that there will be, you know, quite an active, uh, sports book going on in the, uh, uh, in the UK over this, if not all throughout, throughout Europe, because it truly is the premier league is, is the, is the top across the world. So the entire globe looks at this. So this is bigger than major league baseball. 
um, team or, or even NFL. And sorry to say that to the, to the American fans that think the NFL um, is a global sport uh, yeah. on the level of, uh, of soccer. Uh, but it's if not. I can, yeah, if I, I can make two observations. Number one, it's interesting how quickly these owners of uh, Major League Baseball clubs have now found the money um, to be able to put on bids, put in bids on Chelsea. When two weeks ago we were talking about how the owners were crying poverty um, throughout the lockout. Yeah, that's number one. Number two, am I the only adult who chuckles, if only internally, when I hear the name Woody Johnson? <laughs> Certainly, um, probably well, one well, of few who will admit it. Well, um, <laughs> well, he makes you think every time you say the name, right? Yeah. Well, um, I don't know what, I'm going to say what he makes me think. But. Right. Right. Yeah. Nor do we want to. We want to think that. <laughs> well, let's. Sam, let's I love. Yeah, I was. I was just going to say we all. We all know that you. You like to kind of keep things both at a at a you know a fairly. Um, sophomoric level, if uh, if not in the gutter, so we'll you know we'll leave it at that. I aspire to a sophomoric level of humor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but let's let's talk about the NFL for a couple of minutes. You were mentioning them relative to the Premier League, but uh, interesting news out of um, out of AB a- who uh, announced that they were walking away from their sponsorship of the Washington Commanders. What struck me about that announcement because let's face it, sponsors leave properties every day. Um, But um, what struck me was the fact that AB um, would not or did not give a reason uh, for walking away from that sponsorship, which I think speaks volumes. Um, Agree. Agree. And this really ties back to this concept of, of ownership that we were just talking about and the responsibility today, as opposed to, you know, maybe just five years ago, uh, where owners are more of the story than they used to be, and the misdeeds of owners. There's various allegations that have come forth on on Dan Snyder over the years, uh, and there seems to be a discomfort with wanting to work with him from a lot of levels, including from staff level to now. It appears it appears sponsors. But think about that, Washington, and and this is a franchise that has deep deep roots, huge fan base, massive facility that they want a new one now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that had sponsorship from a very early stage from one of the great American companies in FedEx. Um, and AB with the league sponsorship uh, and and with that, obviously wanting to do as many of the team deals because there's always a competitor ready to snap those team deals up, right? So this, yes, this is this is hugely significant uh, and, and it will be very interesting to watch to see what other people think. AB is as as blue blood of blue blood sponsors in this country. Um, every property would like to have that, that category filled by AB. And, and not, that, not that Miller isn't a great uh, partner as well, but, but AB and Budweiser brand uh, and their various other uh, products are, are legendary in the sponsorship business. And for them to make this type of statement, it, it, we are all paying attention. Yeah, purely speculation on my part here, but I think there was probably a calculation that did internally that said, what is the potential return from our continued relationship with the commanders um, versus what's the potential fallout? Should um, the findings of the ongoing investigation implicate Snyder in, in, in behavior and an ongoing 
um, actions that um, put the spotlight on him, his team, his staff, and his sponsors um, in a negative light. So uh, obviously we'll continue to watch that and see what goes on um, in D.C., but uh, I, I think that was, you know, for, for those of us in the sponsorship business, that was a big that was a big announcement this past week. Yeah, it certainly was big just on the headline, right? AB drops drops the commanders. Um, there are obviously will be a few other things that I we imagine will break over the next few days and, and weeks on that story, uh, which will which will make us pay attention even more. Um, listen, some other sponsorship news on the NFL side that uh, that came out. I just it kind of made me laugh because we've talked about crypto sponsorship quite a bit on this show. And that the NFL is now allowing teams to do crypto exchange sponsorships, uh, the likes of which you know various other people, whether it's whether it's uh, uh, Crypto.com or, or FTX, um, but they can't in the sponsorship they can't use the word crypto or cryptocurrency. I thought that was a little funny, um, little angle to it. So I'm not sure what the category will be named, but. The category guess, formerly known as crypto. The category, yeah, <laughs> formerly known as exchange of crypto. Right. I can't even say crypto, so I'm not right. sure what they're going to be able to say. It's just pretty funny. But but there will be, they'll all be lined up. I mean, they'll all fill the category. Yeah, and uh, another bit of good news on the sponsorship front. Congratulations to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Signed Safe Flight um, to, uh, to their jersey deal home away in alternate jerseys first first team to offer all three jerseys to a uh, to a sponsor i can't get when i read that i couldn't get the uh, jingle out of my head from yeah. the commercial <laughs> safe letter there safe line. <laughs> yeah nice. nice nice we don't have to throw that into the show here um <laughs> yeah i mean listen a ton of a ton of sponsorship stuff that's that has been really interesting we know that the base even before the the uh, all of the ink was dried on the new CBA. Apparently, teams have been going out and marketing them, marketing the jerseys on the MLB side um, because that's a new. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a, a sleeve patch um, to go out and sell, and they're expecting big, big dollars from that. Obviously, you know the Red Sox and the Yankees. You can expect to get massive dollars. Cubs, you know, Dodgers being being leaders in uh, in what they're fetching. But over the course of 162 games. It's going to be a, a significant opportunity for a brand to get a lot of exposure, but it is not going to come cheap. Um, no, no. Think about the value that's been placed on NBA jersey patches. And yes, the audiences are much bigger, but you're talking about half the number of games. Right, right. Yeah. One of the other giant global sponsorship deals that came up, uh, and maybe we can talk about this on a more fully in an, on another show, but is the... Uh, uh, is the uh, Barcelona deal with Spotify. Spotify, obviously a company that's been in the news quite a bit because of the Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, Joe Rogan uh, storyline. Uh, but they um, uh, they pocketed or will pocket $310 million, uh, not only for the, the kit deal for, um, for Barca, but they'll also be on Camp No, uh, which is a which is a big big deal because that is sacred ground, of course, in uh, yeah. in Spain and and for Barca fans. Um, and they're gonna and they're gonna be on the uh, women's team jersey as well. So I I, I actually love this deal. I, I think it's kind of the future of where these things are going. Uh, 
But back to this idea of how important these type of deals are and how ownership is involved, Barca was in massive financial straits here, and they really crediting this or talking about this uh, as being something to lift them back up. The team's really hot. They crushed Madrid in uh, uh, in uh, El Clasico uh, over the weekend, um, and they're super super hot behind their um, kind of the new manager Chave. So it's 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 man, the fans are going crazy. So I think they'll be happy to take this money and uh, see where it helps helps them go. Yeah, I think they've turned the corner. I mean, they were technically bankrupt a couple of years ago, so it's it's good to see them turn turn the corner on that. Now, I would say that you know, given the level of plays and listens that we're getting on the Spotify platform, that they could have spun off some of that cash and thrown it to some of their <laughs> some of their avid podcasters. No, uh, they, they did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. There was a positive balance in there. <laughs> we won't we just, say what it is. Yeah. Let's, let's just say we can no longer compete as amateurs in the podcast business. All right. All right. Um, all right. How's your bracket looking? I'm sorry. I'm having trouble hearing you. Yeah, your bracket. Your, bra- <laughs> your bracket. That one that you had, I think. I don't do. I don't do. I don't do a bracket. Yeah. Because I am never going to be among the 1.7% of people whose bracket is still intact at the end of the first night, the first Thursday of the tournament. But how about those peacocks at St. Peter's it's, University? It's, it's such a great story. I, I I actually think that this where we are in this tournament is kind of perfect because there's still a couple nice classic teams in there. Duke's still in. Your, your Tar Heels are still in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've, they're playing like a Final Four team um, ever since you talked them up and, and got that Duke win out of them, uh, that win over Duke. So, You're welcome, um, this, yeah, the, the, the Peacock story is just fantastic. I mean, it's you got you to gotta follow that. I think Miami is a fun story. Uh, the SEC completely flopping is a fun story in a way. But, yeah, no, I think it's, it's turning into a great tournament. And, and there does, while you may not participate in a pool – expectation is over $3 billion to be bet. And a lot more of that than traditionally is going not just to brackets, but into outright, um, you know, betting on mobile apps, et cetera. And we're going to be talking about just that as the show progresses with our guest. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. All right. I think it's probably time that we take a quick break and we are going to come back with a with a, an exciting guest to cover everything in and out of the sports betting space. Uh, back with you soon. It's time for our guest. We are excited to be able to dive into the sports betting space and more with the true expert and sports business leader, Chris Bevilacqua, someone that has literally been on every side of this business with major focus on media distribution. Now, I've been fortunate to know Chris for let's just say a long time he's the, <laughs> you say it. he's, the co- <laughs> he's the co- yeah. yeah he's the co-founder of Bevilacqua Hellfont Ventures a media and sports investment advisory firm in New York and also is the co-founder and CEO of SimpleBet a company looking to drive engagement with sports by facilitating increased betting opportunities so um welcome chris huh thanks for having me guys um, timing feels really perfect to have you on the show for a couple of reasons. One is this month-long college sports extravaganza we're going through, uh, which is expected to generate over $3 billion in, in bets. Uh, but I also want to point out that you are also a, uh, 
uh, quite a college athlete yourself, uh, having been an All-American wrestler at uh, Penn State. So all of the things just aligned to have you on uh, this week to clear up this, uh, you know, what's going on in the in the sports betting state space and uh, give our audience a little knowledge. I appreciate you acknowledging that my Penn State wrestling, I was telling the whole company over the last week that my real March Madness was last weekend was the NCAA wrestling championships and Cale Sanderson and uh, Penn State won their ninth NCAA title in the last 11 years, which is John Wooden territory for, <laughs> for those of you out there listening. And That's this guy's all. like, he's, he's 45 years old. He's going to be around for another 30 years. Uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I, well, I actually always do know that when it's NCAA wrestling time, because Jacobus always, uh, Gary yeah. Jacobus always posts about it, right? Yes, that's right. I see Gary, he, he, he lives in Larchmont where I live. I yeah. see him running with his, with his wife all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They are, they are very, they're, they're fitter than I am for sure. Pure Stokes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So listen, we're going to start like this, Chris. Sports betting is obviously a very, very popular topic in the sports business across all circles of it. Uh, but honestly, we're not sure that people fully understand all that's involved in the industry. And we're hoping you can kind of walking through, walk us through the ecosystem that's involved here and particularly how your company simple bet is involved in that um well i mean this there's a let me just say this i by no means i'm now almost four years into this we started uh co-founded simple bet four years ago in april which was by the way one month before paspa got repealed so i come to sports betting as a as a real novice i mean obviously i've i've learned quite a bit in the last four years and one of the things I learned early on, because I didn't understand the, how the ecosystem worked, was, you know, in a nutshell, it's like alphabet soup, right? You've got sportsbook operators, you've got tech platforms, you've got data companies, you've got me le leagues and teams, you've got media companies. You just got this like, and everybody sort of makes up the the, you know, what I would describe as the the ecosystem. And then on the other side of all that, you have the end user, right? So you've got all these constituencies that have, um, you know, formed uh, obviously a very big business opportunity. And again, when I started four years ago, I didn't know much of, of any of this. Um, and the one thing I've, or one of the things I've learned over the last number of years is that it's super complicated to navigate the ecosystem, especially on the technology side, which is the side of the business that I'm on with SimpleBet, right? We've built over the last four years, we built a technology platform. Um, you know, we've invested over $80 million. We got, I'm sitting here in my office in New York City. We've got over 80 people now, a lot of machine learning engineers, data scientists, data engineers, product operations people that have built this enabling technology that we then go out to sell as an enterprise software company to consumer facing businesses mainly on the sports book side. So the FanDuel's and the DraftKings and the BetMGM's of the world. And then on the other side are technology companies like um, Verizon and AT&T, Tim, and other companies like Camby and, and Amelco that are third-party tech providers. And then more broadly, just media companies, right? We're about to announce a deal with a large, uh, uh, one of the big large RSNs right that is a, a watch and wager single screen you know it's a free-to-play in-game wagering experience but you know that's my background is is 
wagering products, interactive products like like we have are, are, are ones that drive engagement and drive ratings and drive consumption, which, you know, leagues and teams and media companies love, right? So there's a lot of ways that we sell this enterprise software and it's, it's in a big ecosystem that's chasing a very large TAM, right? Total addressable market, which, you know, grows by the day because each, each state that gets add, added, right? New York state's been up for four months for or 10 weeks. And there's been already over $4 billion of betting handle going through just New York state. So there's just a, a, a very large opportunity at the very, very early stages. And, you know, we're excited to be in, in the middle of it. Yeah. And you, you reference New York state and the handle that they've had, but do you, do you, because of the big numbers we're talking about, do you think that at some point state legislatures and states that haven't approved betting are going to sort of be forced to, to license sports betting, lest they be left behind, lest they leave so much money on the table in terms of tax revenue that they can use to fund educational programs, arts programs, whatever it happens to be that their state needs. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, that that was, you know, in large part, uh, a lot of this got accelerated over the last 24 months by COVID, right? When everything got shut down, states ran out of revenue, where are we going to get it back? Um, obviously, you know, sports betting and marijuana, a couple of ones that have been maybe off limits in the past, all of a sudden, you know, here's a way to, you know, to get some revenue in quickly. And then, you know, they, the politicians get in the middle of it and they can take money from here and put it into education and all these other things that trying to fund. And, you know, so that accelerated the, the you know, in, in the case of New York, I mean, even, even New York, right? And, Andrew Cuomo and all of his friends finally figured out, well, wait a second, you know, 25% of New Jersey's revenue is coming over the George Washington Bridge. Like that's just tax dollars going out the window. So I think you're going to see the same kind of stuff that's, you know, like the more that it is, is ubiquitous. Like we're now over 30 states now that have been approved through legislation, 18 or 18 or 19 are mobile. Um, you know, I think you got another 10, 12 states that are now considering legislation. Obviously, the three big guys, right, being Florida, Texas, and uh, California are the ones that everybody's waiting for. And as states around them, surround them with it, and all of a sudden, the, the you know, same thing happened in New York. It got surrounded by New Jersey, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. And then at some point, you know, like, what, what are we doing? Right. So I think, yes, that'll, that'll ultimately be how that, you know, that's the beauty of a marketplace. That's how the market works. Yeah, you mentioned marijuana and and gambling. Uh, it reminds me of a, a, an album my older sister had when I was a kid by the Doobie Brothers. What were once vices are now habits. Yeah, that's right. 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 Well said by the Doobie Brothers. Right. Um, we always we always like to um, you know throw in something that completely dates us when it comes to our <laughs> yeah. musical tastes. Our, our yeah. cultural references end about 1985. <laughs> I'm right there with you guys. So moving on to that, do you anticipate, or are we too far down the road on this, for the feds to come in and finally say, we're going to manage this at this level, or at least set some guidelines? Because when the when the ruling came down from the Supreme Court, you know, in Jersey suit to free this up and basically make this legal, I think a lot of people hope that the federal government, the you know, Congress would act and set some parameters that everybody could go by. But we're now this this far past and that has not happened yet. What are your thoughts? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously from the very, very beginning was a state's rights issue, right? And all PASPA's repeal was it, it made gambling um, not illegal. And then it just became a, a state by state issue, right? And, you know, it's hard to argue with you know, the progress and, you know, the, the industry and the excitement around the industry and, you know, sort of the way it's all rolled out. I do think, though, as you as you look further out, I mean, you know, one of the challenges or one of the things I think about, like these are like the risk factors that you hear about all the time is like, well, what happens when bad things happen? And there's all these you know, like and the leagues were very, uh, you know, in on this early and they call it like integrity and integrity issues. And what happens when, you know, there are, there are integrity related issues and it's it's harming the end user or the consumer and it's it becomes unreliable um you know like there's there were were a few incidents or a handful of incidents away from some, of, of bad actors right that it that it's just hard to see how there aren't things that happen over the number of, you know the coming years where it all of a sudden raises the eyebrow of federal legislators right and you know one of the things from in the in the beginning remember adam silver when he put out his early op-ed in whenever that was 2014 that's 8 years ago his whole thing was, hey, this is all happening in the shadows and we're just better off, like put shining a light on it. It's happening anyway. Let's legislate, let's regulate it, let's tax it. But let's have, you know, rules that everybody has to abide by that are, you know, federally mandated. I mean, that that's the way the leagues came out. It didn't end up that way. And, you know, I think there is some there, there is just kind of you're waiting for the shoe to drop where that integrity issue is becomes front and center. And I think I don't know when and if that happens, but I, I don't discount it being at some point that things like that transpiring and then eventually having to go to federal legislation of some sort. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up Adam Silver. He also said that he doesn't believe his players are at risk of throwing games, which has happened from time to time. Um, in, in collegiate and professional sports over the you know last hundred years or so, um, you know going back to the Chicago Blackhawks, the you know the uh, the New York scandal with throwing basketball games, um, but there's a theory in management, the equity theory that says if people don't feel that they're being paid what they're worth, they'll become dissatisfied, disgruntled, and may act out. So it doesn't matter how much money a player makes; it how mu it's how much they think they should be making that might cause that player to say, well, I need to get mine. So how do you, how do you proactively uh, make sure that players and officials um, aren't put in a position where they, where they could throw games or bet on games? I mean, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the Calvin Ridley situation where he was suspended for a year for betting on games. Um, you know, so how do you proactively sort of, if you're an operator in this space, um, handle that integrity issue? Or can you? I think, you know, I think part of it is is just being proactive, like you said, and, and having education and awareness. And, you know, obviously um, in, in this case, like you use the Ridley example, it's a perfect example, right? Like, you know, like the, this is, the, these, these are our rules and they're pretty clear. And the NFL and all the leagues are pretty clear about rules and you, you can't bet like even even as an operator in uh of, of a technology company like where we're, we sell our products we can't even use our own products on on the operators like we're, we're prohibited from doing that um 
Now, as it relates to the athletes themselves, I mean, it's definitely education and awareness. And then, you know, you just have, you have oversight, right? I mean, Ridley got caught red-handed, right? Like, it's it's not that easy to do stuff on the down low. I mean, with, with the way technology works and the, the fact that it's it's instant, um, all the data is collected, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to get around that stuff. And, you know, spotting suspicious betting patterns and, you know, all those things. I mean, it's, it's not that easy to get away, but I don't, doesn't mean that there aren't going to be guys like Calvin Ridley who, who do do that and, and try to do it, but it's, it's harder and harder to not get caught. Yeah. They certainly um, acted quick and, and punished him severely for what on the surface looked like a fairly minor infraction, but it was an infraction. It was betting on a, on a game. Um, So Yes, you could see that 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 level of discipline uh, and punishment and met it out that quickly um, certainly was yeah. was meant to send a signal that. Well, I mean, I think that dumb. I think that's sort of Adam's point is I got my my average players making eight nine million dollars a year. Like, are they going to risk it all on a ten thousand dollar bet, five thousand dollars or whatever it is? Yeah. Well, certainly, I mean, listen, we, we have a lot we have a very changing landscape in the college sports space now as well with NIL and, and how that will factor in will be, you know, we could we could dive and have a whole show around yeah. around yeah. that subject, of course. Uh, but, I, you know, I do think it's going to be interesting to see um, how the entire ecosystem, as you say, kind of works together to ensure the integrity, because the data and the integrity of the bet, right, is what is what has to be pure. So speaking of that, when it comes to how you work with with leagues or access data, even though you're you know you're using AI to make sure that these things are just updated constantly as people are making in-game bets, um, how are the leagues handling that? How would you say they're handling that, um, both from a just an integrity standpoint as well as a monetization standpoint, or is it getting a little too crazy as to how how expensive this data has become? For operators and are there going to be exclusive relationships in that space? I know there's a lot in that question, but um, yeah, I mean, basically the way it works and it's pretty consistent across the leagues. And the one main thing being, like you just said, exclusivity versus non-exclusivity. What the leagues all do in some way, shape or form is they they get a licensed um, data partner. They, they find an official data partner. So you know, the two big boys are Genius Sports and Sport Radar. Then you have IMG Arena, who does a lot uh, big in golf and tennis. You know, they just recently added UFC, obviously. So you have three big data companies that go and align with the league, um, in some cases on a non-exclusive basis, and in some cases on an exclusive basis. And what the leagues will then do is sell the data collection and data redistribution rights to one of those companies. And then those companies are essentially rights arbitrage companies that go out and resell that to sportsbook operators and media companies and tech platforms. And then they get used for, you know, all kinds of betting, whether it's daily fantasy, whether it's um, real real money betting or whether it's free to play um, or it's just sort of media and fan engagement type stuff. And so those three companies. So we have a deal with. um both of those companies for different sports where we take live official data from them um, because we're an in-play micro betting technology solution. So you have to have a high quality live incident feed that comes out of the stadium and arenas 
and it's called a low latency bedding feed. That's what we take in. And then on top of that, we have a, 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 an access to a vast amount of historical data, usually five, eight, 10 years of data. So we, we, we use the historical data to create all of the markets, right? What, what's gonna happen on this next pitch or at bat in a baseball game or next play or, or next drive in an NFL game. That's all, markets are all created by our machine learning engineers or for the historical data. And then we take all of that and we marry it up with the live incident feed. Like what happened on that pitch? Was it a ball or a strike? Was it above 90 miles an hour or not? Was it um, you know, in the lower quadrant of the plate or the upper quadrant? Like all those things are captured by the live incident feed. Um, same for football and basketball and hockey. And, and, and then we take the live incident feed with the, with, the, with the historical data. We take weather data signals. Like is it, a, is it a dome stadium? Is it sunny out? Is it raining out? Is it windy out? Is it a grass stadium? Is it a turf stadium? All those other signals go in. And then we put that into our platform and then we automated the market mechanics so we can create a market, suspend a market, reprice a market and result a market all through automation in real time that allows for essentially a live two or three hour uh, game to have essentially uh, hundreds of thousands of betting opportunities. So we turn a live game into a slot machine. That's what that's what our technology we talked about latency right there, and I am curious as to at what point do we hit the promise of what you're talking about? Your company is focused largely on these in-game experiences. I'm seeing what's happening and I'm betting on it uh, or I'm, I'm offering a wager. But there's delay. I mean, if people are watching, we talked about this earlier in the show, cable, um, you know, cable television, linear distribution of something. You're way behind when that's actually happening, which kind of makes it difficult to do actual in-game betting. We know the technology is there to run all this thing, uh, uh, you know, kind of in real time. So we could see it. But at what point are we going to be able to do this with a lot more reach and a lot more capability to really be betting on things that are happening in-game in absolute real time? Well, I think you said it a minute ago, the technology already exists. We already have a product, a single screen product that we could, if we got distribution for it, it basically takes... Um, low latency video, a lot faster than if you're watching on your cable TV. Cable TVs, it, or you know, I have FiOS, I'm probably eight, nine seconds behind what happens in Yankee Stadium, right? When I'm watching the Yes Network. Um, there's now technology that I can, I can actually watch on my phone, that same Yankee game in theory. If it was using this technology, I would be seeing it eight seconds ahead of my Yes Network feed. In other words, the technology exists to take live video and marry it with low latency betting feeds and create the single screen um, betting experience with live video. It already it already exists. Right. I mean, we as you know, we work with we work with that company out of Chicago, Phoenix, on the your call football stuff, and it absolutely works and it can works. exist. But yeah. that requires a distribution relationship, no? Yeah. So the, what you're really getting at are the the existing rights issues that are uh, are between the original sellers of those rights and the buyers. So in, in the old way, in the, in the old cycle of rights agreements, right? You have the NFL sells rights to CBS, right? For a lot of money, then CBS has a wholesaler sells rights to all the retailers, meaning DirecTV, you know, Comcast, Time Warner, all those cable companies, and then they sell it to the end user in, in, in the form of a cable package, right? What 
and that exists for baseball rights, for basketball rights. And so what ends up happening is you're you're locked in that old because it's exclusivity, right? You can't take those rights and untether, right, a single screen direct to consumer video, live video package, even on low latency, because you're competing against your wholesalers. So the new NFL deals, right, there's the 11 years worth of new deals, that's where you're going to see all this change because they've carved out all this stuff and they're about to sell Sunday ticket and red zone and all the NFL assets. And they're going to also bring in a, a betting partner. And that's where you're going to start to see all these, what I call the personalization of media. As we go from a wholesale mar mar market to a retail market, there'll still be a wholesale market, but the retail market will exist alongside of that. And that's that direct to consumer. And that's going to allow for people that want to have a in, in, play betting experience to be able to do that in their own personalized video feed through all these new rights agreements. And I think all the other leagues are going to follow along with their own as they go through the next cycle of rights agreements. So technology exists, the rights uh, allocation has to catch up with it. That's the punchline. Right? So before we let you go, Chris, one, one other question. We talked about integrity issues before as it relates to you know, people who could impact the, the outcome of a contest, right? Players, coaches, officials, and so forth. There's a concern about uh, problem gambling, right? And I know that all of the sportsbook operators put a certain amount of their marketing dollars towards messaging around what to do if you have a problem. But are there any other unforeseen negative impacts that people in this space need to be uh, on the lookout for? Um, again, with the idea of being proactive as opposed to reactive to ensure that, you know, people can continue to, to bet with confidence that people who have a problem can seek help for it and all of those types of things. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of uh, like you see all the all these like whenever you look at an ad for, you know, sign up for Sportsbook XYZ, there's always like, you know, call this 800 hotline if you have a gambling problem. There, there's already like a lot of um, sort of simultaneous education and awareness kind of reminds me, Dave, you know, you remember this back to the old sponsorship days, like the responsible drinking messages with Anheuser-Busch. Like whenever they did something big with a property, there was always a pretty concerted effort to make sure that you were addressing the problem drinkers, right? And responsible drinking and all that. And that's, you know, like that exists to this very day. The same thing's happening with marijuana and the same thing's happening with gambling. Like what I worry about is like, I got, I got four young ki kids at home, right? And, you know, I got my phone here, right? And I got my DraftKings here. What happens when my 10-year-old son picks up my phone without me and he's going like this, and next thing I know, I got a $20,000 bill from DraftKings. Like, what, like that's going to happen at some point, right? And so I think what the, what the companies like, you know, the, the DraftKings and the FanDuel's of the world have to really get on, like, security right and and video recognition you know face face recognition like all that type of like clear type technology because it's it seems to me like what i just described is inevitable to happen and that's where all the legislators and all the you know the all that stuff's going to get stirred up so i'd like to see it you know us as an industry just get out in front of this stuff you know i would see that uh we'll probably hear a lot no it was my kid it was my yeah. kid making that <laughs> Uh, Can you prove that? <laughs> so um, we like to ask a couple questions of our guests before we we let them go. And the and the first one, 
if you could, is let us know how you got your start, how and where you got your start in the business. Where'd your career get started? Where'd you start Well, I, you know, I was, uh, it was 1987, and uh, I had just, I tore my shoulder out. I was going to keep wrestling and try to try for the Olympic team because I was on the Olympic ladder and um, busted up my arm. That was it. Reconstructive surgery. Oh my God, what am I going to do? I didn't have, a, I didn't know, like I had a BS in marketing from Penn State. Had a friend who introduced me to another friend. He's like, go talk to this guy at NBC Sports. And his name is Gray. Do you know Gray Siemens, Dave or Tim? Do you no. know? Gray was no, the director. Sorry. He was the director of sports research at at, uh, at NBC Sports. So I go in there and I meet Gray and Grace. Oh, your friends, Neil and Nick, and they spoke so highly of you. What do you want to do? I said, I don't know. And he's like, well, you should go downstairs. I'm going to set you up with John Ship and David Sahadi on the 14th floor. What are you doing tonight? I go, I'm, you know, I, I just got to go take the train home to Long Island. He's like, well, go down and see them. I go, what do they do? How they earn sports promos. The other guys that make the commercials on coming on NBC, the Jets playing the Patriots at four o'clock on Sunday. Tune in. I said, all right, I'll go down there. And I go down, I meet John and, and David and they say, well, what are you doing? I, I, I have no idea. Just Penn State, just graduated. Well, what are you doing after this? I don't know. Nothing. I take the train. Well, why don't you come down to the edit room with us? We're going into the edit room. We're making the commercials tonight. So I go into the edit room. It's like five o'clock at night. And they say, oh, we are, we're the low guy on the totem pole. Uh, we got to get, uh, we have to get the nighttime shift. So we, we edit from 5 p.m. to 2 in the morning. So I go in there, I'm watching them, what they're doing. They're like, hey, do me a favor. Go in there, pop that tape in, will you? Log that tape. I'm like, what's log? I'm like, you know, just write down what happens on that play and just log it out on the time code. All right. Next thing you know, I'm there for like eight hours. And they're like, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm like, nothing. Want to come back and do this? Yeah. Next thing you know, they say, why don't you come and work for us on a freelance basis? And that's how I got my start working at NBC Sports. Well, I think your next stop, and this is where I met you, was at Major League Baseball. Yes. And uh, uh, I, you know, listen, I've enjoyed every time I've had a chance to talk to you since we first worked together on that United, United. Airlines Major League Baseball deal. I was running the United business and, and, and you were fairly new, I think, at MLB. How about uh, Dick Veach and Adam Aaron? How about Adam Aaron getting all his... <laughs> Adam, yeah, things. and he just bought a he just bought like a mine somewhere. I'm not sure some of you got. So yeah, he's a meme stock guy, at AMC, and buying crazy, mines. Man. What a crazy life! But that's where we met, and that's right. uh, that was that's a lot crazy. of fun, fun days. We'd like to wrap up and ask, what's that one piece of advice you have for somebody who's looking to break into the industry? You know, I get this on it literally on a daily basis. You know, like here I am. I'm surrounded by 26-year-old machine learning engineers and data scientists from Harvard and MIT. And I get constantly asked, like, how do I break into this business, right? And my, you know, like, there is no, there's no one size fits all. I mean, my, my advice to, you know, the 22-year-olds the that are graduating is, you know, a couple things. You know, as you're going through, you know, school, like, I always think like working on project or internships are a great thing. And, you know, anybody can do that, right? Make yourself available, you know, show some eagerness, get off your freaking cell phone devices and look people in the eye, right? That's number one. Number two, I always say like, don't be afraid to fail. Like I, I asked a lot of people, you know, along the way for, for help. And 
you know, I ended up having a, a couple of key mentors, you know, in, in my career over the years who I'm still very close friends with. And I think the main thing was, is that like, I was never afraid to fail. I didn't like, no, no was fine. And I'd get a thousand no's, right? But I'll eventually get the yes. And so those, those couple of things are advice that I give all the time. Well, we appreciate it. We appreciate you taking the time. And uh, uh, Chris, hope to see you soon. All right. Thanks for having me, gents. Good to see you. Thanks so much, Chris. What a great conversation with Chris. Um, Another tremendous guest we were fortunate enough to have on. Wait, what? Uh, We have have tried to um, create a segment where we take questions from listeners um, who also happen to be college students. And we have a bit of a backlog from the sports management program at at St. John's University, where I happen to be an adjunct professor. So, David, if you don't mind, let's uh, let's take let's take a couple of these questions and give our opinions. Is there something you'd like to know? Is there something you'd like to know? Ask us and we'll answer it on this show. First one comes from Martino Pepe, who said, is it better for the NCA to have mid to low major schools do well in the earlier middle rounds? Or is it better to have the powerhouse schools um, advancing um, early in the tournament? So we, we talked about this a little bit before we had Chris on, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think what we're seeing in this tournament is – precisely what is good for excitement around the tournament. Sure, if you're a Kentucky fan, you're not happy. Um, you're an Auburn fan, you're not happy. If you're at these high seeds that went out early, you're really not happy. Um, but you have a lot of big name schools still in the Sweet 16, Michigan, Carolina, Duke, um, as well as the St. Peter's Peacocks, who you have to love that story. And it will draw fans in that aren't maybe the hardest of hardcore um, college basketball fans because it's just a it's just a wonderful story. Um, so I think they have a perfect mix. They like a little of both. I think it's exactly what we're getting right now. That's exactly what I was going to say. Every year, hopefully, you have somebody like a St. Pete's or a, a few years ago it was Butler, um, somebody who captures the attention of of the the nation um, and and has a nice little run. George Mason is another school that comes to mind, right, right. Um, but. Uh, but you know, by and large, at the end of the day, the cream tends to rise to the top. Although I will make another prediction and say that St. Peter's knocks off Purdue, makes it to the Elite Eight, uh, and then that's uh, huge. That's huge. I'm not going to go wait what on you on that because that would be kind of cool. But it's that's it's my prediction, and prediction. I think it. I think it. The end. The run ends there. Uh, but Shaheen Holloway has done a phenomenal job with that program. He sure has. So the next question comes from Will Terrell, um, and it, it's about another thing that we were uh, have talked about on this show, is what do you think the lasting impact of organizations like UEFA and IOC uh, and other organizations banning Russia from international competition? Basically, is it fair um, when other countries have had bad civil rights records and, and various other things that they've done. China, for instance, is an example. But what do you think, Tim? Is it is have, Has the sports industry jumped the gun on this one? Um, I, I think it's a, it's a pretty pro, uh, provocative question because um, it, it does set a precedent. And 
then the question becomes if there is something else in the future that where another country does something that gets the condemnation of the world and it doesn't even necessarily have to be an invasion into a sovereign nation what what do these sports organizations do then um hopefully they act consistently hopefully sport is a voice for power and um and for right in in this world um but we'll have to see one thing that i found interesting is that i believe it was wimbledon said that they may not let medvedev who's now the number one player in the world play unless he condemns yeah. putin um i i don't that i have more of a problem with right here's an individual and you're asking him in effect to take a loyalty oath or a lack of loyalty oath and that i believe is a really slippery slope when you're talking about individuals when you're talking about uh teams that represent the national governing bodies within their country which are funded in part by their country um, i think that's different than an individual being asked to to make that sort of statement yeah, I agree on that, especially on that last part. It's a, that's a huge slippery slope, and and you're exactly right. It would be it would be a, a loyalty oath. We've had a similar situation here in the NHL with uh, uh, Alex Ovechkin uh, having to kind of distance himself from from Putin, uh, even though he has been close to him in the past or has been associated with him in the past. So yeah, that's a that's a tricky thing. These are athletes trying to go out and make a living doing what they do and doing it better than anybody. Um, the the challenge is 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 everybody viewing these things the same in this case for the most part you know uh with the possible exception of of several several people that that seem to you know kind of see this from both sides i guess have have pretty swiftly said um that this this was an invasion outright invasion in fact on the el clasico match this weekend they actually had stop invasion as a graphic on the entire thing so I, I do think that sport has to at least respond to the times and they can't ignore these things. So um, it, sometimes that means making a stand. And in this case, um, personally, I feel that the industry is, has been on the right side of that. Let's take another question. Yeah. So this is from Jack Bloomberg. Do you feel the NCAA has done enough to support women's basketball compared to last year? Is there a big enough spotlight being shown on players like Caitlin Clark Leah Boston, Paige Bookers. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts. My yeah. short answer is no, they haven't. Correct. <laughs> um, they meaning any any new light, sh you know, placed on these athletes and these these teams um, is a, is a plus. I feel, and and I think we're making some progress there. I I, I know it's not enough, and it's been a long time coming. Um, I will say this, and, and I'm a, an Iowa fan, and Iowa lost in the, uh, in the second round of the women's tournament. And um, Caitlin Clark is such a fantastic player to watch play, by the way. And they just did a nice job on her. Um, uh, Paige Buchers did not have a full season this year, but she is another dynamite player. Uh, and Aaliyah Boston is just like, you go in and try to put up a shot against her, she's going to swat it away. She's like Dikembe Mutombo. And just say, like, get it out of here. These are fun players to watch, and they bring personality and such talent to the game. So, listen, I, I think there's a, a fair amount of promotion on the ESPN side with the with the tournament. Uh, the broadcasters that have that have come on board and talk about this and the shows that they have all are pluses. But it needs to it needs to come on a little more for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of what was done was has been superficial, um, sort of uh, you know 
polishing the uh, the silverware without really you know cleaning out the cupboards. So, but I think you know there's only you know I, I've worked closely with the NCAA in the past. It's a bureaucracy. It's a slow-moving bureaucracy, um, and so I think it's going to take some time. So while I don't think they've done enough, I like what they have done so far. Um, little shout out for uh, uh, Paige Clark and Aaliyah Boston because we just announced today the uh, uh, excuse me the the finalists for the uh, men's and women's players of the year award for the Jersey Mike Naismith trophies. And both Aaliyah and Caitlin Clark uh, are among the finalists on the women's side. That's great. And I agree. I think Caitlin Clark is just a she's a generational type player. It's only a sophomore. Yeah. And so she might. I you know I don't know obviously who's going to win, but um, if she wins this year, she could join the the ranks of Ralph Sampson and Bill Walton as being the only two players uh, who have won the Naismith Trophy three times in their career. So wow. it'll be wow. interesting to see. I've got my votes in. Um, I'm not going to tell you how I voted. All right. So uh, Daniel Vivolo, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, uh, yes, that's, wanted, how you say, that's how you say Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted to know <laughs> if Tom Brady could become, because he listened to the last week's show where I guess I was a little tough on Tom Brady, uh, but if he could become a good commentator uh, over time because of his football IQ and, and so forth. You know, when he finally steps away from the game, can he become that? And I guess the first thing that I, I would say is, well, when's he finally going to step away from the game? <laughs> um, I think that's the first thing. Listen, uh, uh, Daniel, yeah, I, I mean, he he absolutely could. Everybody can be coached how to become. And, and these broadcasters, particularly players that become uh, commentators, have to go through training and they, and they do it. Um, he is super smart. He has a football IQ like we've never seen. So I, I expect that he could be, uh, but I think some of the other things that I uh, put forth, I, I think still hold true. So the question is, is can he be great? And if you're going to be putting him on one of your lead broadcasts, for instance, ESPN just finally got their lead broadcast team and taking the Fox team of, of Joe Buck and, uh, uh, and Troy Aikman over to put together a, a world-class Monday night uh, football broadcast again on ESPN. Uh, does he is he in that caliber? I mean, I think we'll have to see. But he also has a ton of other business interests. Uh, so broadcasting may or may not even be a part of that that he that he wants to pursue anyways. Yeah, I think if he sets his mind to it, I think he could become among the best. Um, but it takes a tremendous amount of work to, you know, Tony Romo didn't step into the box, um, you know, that opening game and then just start announcing. I mean, he worked that whole year leading up to that to sort of you know calling simulated games working with voice coaches and everybody else i mean he's a unique talent right he's he's very good at what he did does and and was very good from the from the jump on that but i think uh i think your 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 last point is probably the most relevant one does he want to make that commitment right or does he does he have enough other business interests that he doesn't feel he wants to go into the booth and make that sort of commitment to being the best at his craft because you, you have to imagine that somebody like him who is as competitive as he is wouldn't do it unless he thought he could be really really good at it all right uh great, great gonna, questions great questions thank you all we're going to take a quick break be right back
So we've come to the part of the show where we like to take a look at the week ahead to see what we might be focusing on. Tim, what are you going to have your eye on? Well, not surprisingly, it's college sports, but it's probably not the college sports that you're thinking about. Uh, although I will be watching um, the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight this weekend. Uh, the fourth-ranked Cornell Big Red men's lacrosse team traveling to Philadelphia to play the sixth-ranked UPenn Quakers. Um, always a great matchup. Uh, and then the uh, NCAA hockey tournament drops uh, drops the puck starting this weekend, too. And I'll be rooting for anybody who Harvard is playing in the first round. It's uh, it's Minnesota State, the top-ranked Minnesota State That's team in the East, East Regional. That's great. Such How about yourself? Time for college sport. Well, I am going to say something completely unsports related. And this is a big week for me. As later this week, uh, I'm expecting to be a grandfather. Wait, what? <laughs> right? I know. It's hard to believe. But yeah, I, I am. Uh, I'm going to have my first grandchild. My daughter, Jessica, and her husband, Phil. Uh, are expecting and uh, all indications are that it's uh, it's happening really soon. So uh, that is going to be my almost entire focus between now and uh, when that when that wonderful baby arrives. That's that's phenomenal. And as we like to say in the in the McGee family, Mazel Tov. <laughs> that's good luck to your daughter and her husband and your I beautiful grandchild. To, appreciate, to appreciate that. Yeah. A lot to look forward to. And I can't wait to to get to Chicago. Uh, and that'll be right on top of that as well. So, Hey, that's a wrap on another fun, informative episode of wait, what we'd really like to thank Chris Bevilacqua for joining us to discuss sports betting. Uh, and of course the students that posted, uh, questions to us, there were some really great ones. Mostly we appreciate you listening on whatever platform you choose to listen to us on. Uh, if you're so inclined, give us a follow rate us, leave a review if you want. Uh, and check in with us on Twitter and now on LinkedIn. I'm DP, he's McGee, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, everybody.